0: Uh, we are very excited this morning to have Camilla come and speak. So give Camilla a round of applause, and I'll have you see Camilla. Can you hear me? Oh, that was quite loud. I have a really small head, so when they put this on, it was sort of standing up here, but that's fine. A um, little incentive for those who get out of their comfort zone sit in the front row. Oh, thank you. This won't happen every week, but you know what I mean. You are my heroes. <laughs> you can sit here sorry he he was was there's always one isn't there there you go right can you continue passing this around the front row thank you very much right good morning everybody i love to read one of my earliest memories is visiting the library and taking out the maximum eight books probably a pile a bit like this, these are my childhood books. I sat reading the first one in the car while my mum popped into the newsagents to get something. I suddenly realised that the car was rolling slowly backwards. I was only about six at the time, I hadn't discovered how the handbrake worked, so I leapt out of the car and put four books under each wheel. (laughs) Books are great, but they can also be a lifesaver. On Easter Day, I was given a book. I got into my hammock in the garden in the afternoon, and I read it from cover to cover, the ultimate luxury. It felt as though I was reading my own life story. It was a true story about a woman who'd met and married her husband by the age of 21, and then had three children. She had a busy, productive, fulfilling life with children, friends, and hobbies. Nothing remarkable about the similarity, really, but the point was that we both had the same views about our roles in life. We'd both grown up in Christian homes, We were both creative people. She'd studied drama, I studied literature and languages. And we both had a sense of duty to do well and to achieve. As I turned the pages of the book, I was slightly freaked out to see how my attitude was mirrored on the page, but also intrigued to read her story, which was written from a slightly different angle. For her, it was about the struggle of trying to be everything she wanted to be. She found the life of looking after small children overwhelming. And eventually, she realized that something was very wrong, and she was diagnosed with postnatal depression. As I contemplated my own life, lying in the hammock in the sunshine, I wondered what had been different for me. There have certainly been times when I felt like I might go under. Times when I felt that I needed to be the organizer, the hub, the doer, the person that everybody could come to but I've never fallen into a pit that I couldn't get out of. I've always been able to reach out to someone, possibly someone in this church. We've been in the part of this church for over 22 years, and get help. I also cling on to this verse from the Bible. Whenever I read it, I imagine oxen like this wearing an uncomfortable yoke. I tried out this talk on my family last night, and it wasn't until the end that Eloise, who's 10, said, I don't get the bit about the yoke. What happened to the whites? She was imagining an egg. (laughs) So this is a yoke, Y-O-K-E. Come to me, all you who, start again. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And if you feel a bit like these animals right now, there is hope for something different at the end of the talk. I've been asked by Neil and Kate to talk about my work, what I do, how I do it, and how God inspires me. I said yes to this because I was excited about sharing my story so far. And the idea, really, of this morning is that you can reflect on your own story as you listen and hopefully build your own toolkit to look at work differently. On my way here, on my bike, I like to live my brand. My name is Camilla Bike, so I go everywhere on my bike. Um, I passed through a park, and the sun was out, and I thought, I think I'll just try this talk out, you know, in the open air. So uh, I wandered around <laughs> on my bicycle, and uh, a few of the joggers who hadn't put headphones in this morning looked slightly surprised, um, but hopefully they'll have taken uh, something away from it. Um Is preparing this talk work? Yes, it is. I've taken on an assignment. I've got a deadline today. Um, I have to deliver. I've got to engage my brain. So, yes, everything that we do is work, and you'll soon see why. I took this picture last summer at our annual street party. Is putting on a street party work? Yes, it is. You have to contact the council, you have to close the road, you have to invite the police to come and judge the cake-baking competition, you need to invite the fire engine to come along uh, for the children to climb on and enjoy, you have to string up bunting between the lampposts, and you have to clear it all up afterwards. I hope you're getting the idea. My view of work is broad and perhaps unconventional. I say this because in this room, there are workers of all kinds. We all have things that we do that may or may not be paid activities. We have roles that define what we do, but shouldn't define who we are. I'd like to tell you about a conversation between Jesus and a group of people called the Sadducees. This was no street party. When I said Sadducees to the children, they just burst out laughing, but uh, believe me, they weren't funny people. They were not the partying type. They were politicians who dealt with affairs of state at home and abroad, And they were also tax collectors, collecting in all the money from the Jews in the diaspora. They used to negotiate with the Romans, and they made sure that the army was working properly, and they had a lot of power, responsibility, and status. If you were a Sadducee, you'd made it. If your work made others respect and fear you, you earned good money, you were probably a fantastic networker, and you had a job for life. You could rest at the end of a day of meetings and money counting and negotiating and pat yourself on the back because of the righteous work you were doing on God's behalf. It's not surprising that when they heard Jesus was coming to town, they wanted to spend some time with him and get some affirmation for all the great work they were doing. But the conversation didn't really go as planned. They asked Jesus a riddle, something about a man who had died And his wife had married his brother, and then she'd married the next brother when he died, and then the next one, the next one, the next one, until she'd married seven brothers. Their question was, whose wife will the woman be when they all get to heaven? Jesus is unimpressed with their question. He replies, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Silence. Everyone was speechless. The Sadducees had been put firmly in their place. Jesus has mocked their supposed expertise, and they look ridiculous. But it gets worse. This wasn't an intimate chat in a meeting room. This was a conversation in the open air. There was a crowd watching. This was the equivalent of a politician being grilled on news night in front of thousands of viewers. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Big mistake, Sadducees. You thought that with your solid CVs, you had the right to trick Jesus and show how great you are. But Jesus is not impressed. Their work is worthless. What the world valued, he didn't. He came to turn everything on its head, and they fell right into the trap. I love the next verse. It shows that there's always someone who wants to take advantage of someone else's mistake. You know that moment on night when a rival politician seizes their moment to belittle their opponent? Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, awkward, I'm going to look at these verses in the context of my work, and you can replace my examples with your own. If this is the greatest commandment, then we need to obey it, right? Step one. I've deliberately left two, three, and four blank so that you can join in. Love the Lord your God. Step two, wake up. Love the Lord your God. Step three, think about your day. Love the Lord your God. Step four, plan the tasks ahead. You get the idea. It doesn't matter what my day holds, or what the to-do list is, or whether I'm paid for what I'm about to do, what matters is that I first. The kid's got that. For me, this could be answering an email from a young journalist working on a BBC programme. Uh, I need to decide how I'm going to answer that email. What tone do I use? Last week, I received a podcast for my feedback. And uh, the young presenter had cleared his throat about five times in the first minute. Yes, I'm going to talk about politics. So I thought, how do I respond to this without being rude? Uh, So I said, "Um, did you get a chance to edit this? What software did you use? And thankfully, he took the point well, and he said thank you for the feedback. But I don't think he'll be getting a job with us anytime soon. What is my motivation to write the email in the right tone? To be honest and not to offend Think about that for a moment for your own tasks, whatever faces you each day. Let's look at the second part of the verse and see how it applies for us. Love your neighbor as yourself. I had to work out what this looks like for me and it will look different for you. If my work is to love my neighbor, I need to look at the needs of my community and see where my skills could fit into where I live. This was quite easy. Our area of London is known as Nappy Valley as there are the highest proportion of under-2s in Europe. Don't quote me on that statistic, I think I read it about 15 years ago, and if none of us have moved house, (laughs) there's now the highest proportion of teenagers. (laughs) But anyway, there's even a website called nappyvalley.net, and this is how they describe themselves. Nappy Valley Net, launched in 2009, our aim to create a gorgeous mashup of your best friend, your next door neighbour, and that well-connected schoolgate mum, all wrapped up in a website. So, back to the verse about loving your neighbour. I've had a go at writing a modern message-style translation of what Jesus was telling the Pharisees and Sadducees 2,000 years ago. The verse might go like this: Launch something, create a gorgeous mashup of neighbours and connections, and then promote it online and watch it grow. And do it all because you... I'm never going to be headhunted as a Bible translator, but you know. (laughs) If this is the greatest commandment, we need to take it to heart and do our best to obey it. So what did I do? What can I do for all these under twos? I found a way of helping mums with their babies. Years ago, an amazing lady who lots of you will know, Heather Higgins, taught me and a bunch of other people how to be volunteers to help mums to feed their babies. We're not midwives, we're not doulas, but we can do a home visit and give advice and encouragement and a listening ear. I've done this for many years in my local community, and I love it because I can see the benefit in every family I've visited. I mentioned earlier that I train young journalists. I don't talk about my faith at work. I don't preach to people. I don't make programs about God. What I do is I take my motivation from the greatest commandment, and I try to put my faith into action. Every time I'm out of my comfort zone, I pray for inspiration and strength. I put my trust in Jesus because I know he will give me what I need. When I'm applying for funds to make a project happen, I pray that I will write the pitch well and spend the money wisely. When I have a misunderstanding with someone or there's a dispute, and of course that happens, I ask God for wisdom to find a way through it. There are times when I've relied on my own strength and I've gone off thinking, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, I can manage. But often these trips out on my own are the ones that end in disaster and burnout. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Here comes the fun bit. I thought it would be great to show you what I do day to day. Would anyone like a live demonstration? Fantastic. So I've asked my friend, Queen, to help me out. So my beautiful assistants are going to bring us our interview stills. Thank you, James. There we go. So basically... We're storytellers at Podium. Oh, my is called Podium. And we go around finding interesting people to talk to, and we record them. Queen, thank you very much for agreeing to do this live demo of an interview. Was anyone thinking I was going to pick on someone in the congregation? (laughs) I might do that afterwards. So, you know, those of you who didn't sit in the front row will get your chance for a little bit of spotlight. So, um, Queen, first I need to as I would if I was doing a real interview, I need to ask you to give me your full name and your consent for your voice to be broadcast.
1: Okay, so if I was doing this in the real world, um, my name is Queen Lubode, I'm the founder of I Am New Generation magazine. Um, I gave consent for this recording to be recorded and should there be any need for it to be used
0: outside, then I would like to be contacted first. Fantastic, so we always make sure that whoever we talk to is happy with what we do with their voice. So, Quinn, I need you to give me full answers, because when I edit this, I won't be using my questions. No pressure. So, what is
1: your work? Um, so, just like I said, I um, started, when I graduated um, from University of Westminster for my Master's, um, I gained my qualification as a qualified journalist. And um, in 2014, I started an online magazine, which is a lifestyle business magazine for young business owners and professionals under 35 and the essence about the magazine is to celebrate and inspire youth entrepreneurship and sorry the the, the other question what inspires me um I enjoy being creative um I enjoy um
0: seeing things in Seeing how we can Can develop, yes. So, if I was in a real interview, I'd have had to stop, Queen, because I couldn't use that little bit that leads into the second bit. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you the second (laughs) question, and we've got a nice clean entry, okay? Okay. So, what inspires you day to day? Um, The ability to be creative
1: and to create and develop um, particular projects and see how that grows and flourishes into something that would impact people's lives. Can you give me an example of a project that you've been working on recently? Um, One of the projects I've been working on recently is called My Startup Story and is an event for young business owners to come on board and we interview them live on stage and they talk about their businesses and um, aspects of their business journey and things that they've encountered each day. Um, So that's one of the additions
0: to the magazine as well. Is there a particular person that you have worked with who's been very inspiring or had an unusual story? Um, we've had
1: a lot of people um, come on board. Um, I think, so, you know, we went, uh, right, so there is Would you a- like to start
0: that again, quickly? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> the great thing about making podcasts oh. and editing them, you can just keep going until you get it right. So take a breather, go for okay. it. Um,
1: Actually, yes. So there is a a category within the magazine called Spotlight. And the Spotlight is for young people who are not really well known in the public sphere, but they have been doing really fantastic things about the business. Um, And one of the recent persons that we spotlighted was um, a lady called um, Urena, and she was the founder of Kashmir App. And it was an app to help um, young people to save money, even when they are spending it on very expensive items, um, luxurious items. Fantastic. And how does God impact your work? So I'll give an example for that. Um, so two years ago, my dad died, and it really hit me home. You know, I was so close to just stopping everything, and I just didn't know how to handle the day-to-day um you know getting up and just facing the world um and I just didn't I just want everything to just shut down I want everything to just stop um but somehow um God just gave me um the reason to just live on the the reason to just wake up each day and just go back to how my day-to-day life
0: was um and that's an example of how God has really impacted me And would you say that as a Christian you want to bring God into your work or how do you separate the two? How do you let God motivate you even if you can't talk about God in your work? Um,
1: And if this was real, this is the part where I'd be like, okay, hold on.
0: (laughs) Take as long as you need. You can also say I "I I don't feel
1: comfortable answering that question. um, I think it's just understanding the essence of why we are alive and the essence of why we live and the essence of why we deal with our day-to-day and the essence of what we do and the reason for existing
0: in the first place. Fantastic. Can we give Queen a big round of applause for that? now? You. One of the interesting things about doing interviews with people is you, you feel your way as you go along. So we'd prepared three basic questions, but then I went slightly off piece. Thank you, Queen, you dealt with that really well. And I always try and do that, because you're never quite sure what the whole story is when you brief someone at the beginning, because they'll give you the facts, but you want something a little bit deeper. And afterwards, you can say, well, you're all right with all of that. If you don't want to use that bit, that's absolutely fine. But I always try and connect with my interviewee. You might have noticed I did a lot of nodding, and if you ever work in audio, you'll know why, because you don't want someone interrupting in between... Um, phrases that she's saying so I find I become a very kind of expressive and I use my hands like a conductor and I'll say stop and carry on and things like that so um, anyone who wants to work in audio and is under 25 come and talk to me send me a podcast with no throat throat clearing and you might get something to do Um, that was great so I'm really lucky that my work involves talking to fascinating people like Queen and anyone else who's got stories to tell again very happy to chat with you if you're under 25, um, <laughs> the reason for that. Do you want to know why that is? Do you want to know why podium started? And this this isn't part of my talk, but basically, um, when the riots happened at Clapham Junction, uh, I went down with this new little toy I had called an iPhone, and I didn't really know how to use it. And there were um, a bunch of young people sweeping up the glass outside Dixon's that had been the windows had been smashed, and there was CNN and Sky and the BBC all chatting to the shop owners and. The bits of conversation I could hear was, youth of today, dreadful, they've wrecked this place. And all I could see was young people with dustpans and brushes clearing it up. So I went over to the group of young people, and they were wearing hoodies, you know, that's, that's a fashion statement. And I said, can I talk to you? And they looked at me slightly suspiciously, why do you want to talk to us? I said, well, I think you're the story. Has anyone interviewed you? And they said, no, why, why would they want to hear what we've got to say? I said, well, because... You're the ones doing something about this. So I said, can I talk to you? And they said, oh, no, we don't want to be filmed or anything. And I said, well, I'm sure we can do just your voices. Can you, can you work this thing? And I handed them my new phone. And, and they said, yeah, hey, we can get an app. Yeah, voice record, no problem. Handed it back. And I had this conversation with them. And what I heard was a completely different story from what was being broadcast that evening on the TV. So I thought, where are we hearing those voices of the under-18s? It was just under-18 at that point. Um and I couldn't find a national platform that was doing that. So I did a bit more research, and I decided there isn't one, so I'm going to have to start one. So that was six years ago, and we now make programmes for Radio 1, Radio 4. We work with the World Service. We have over 500 journalists all over the world, and all from that little conversation I had where I couldn't even use the equipment, and we still use phones for all our recording. So it's a very low-tech, high, you know, high goal um, organization but that is what I do and chatting with Queen there is exactly what I do I just sit down with someone it might be on a bus it might be in the street might be in a studio if we're lucky Um, but essentially I just get their stories and then we pitch those stories to the big broadcasters and get young people's voices out there so there are things that I've said today um, in this talk that are revelations to me the whole love your lord your god first thing I've been doing my best to make sure I do everything I do because I love the Lord and not for any other reason. Because God is with me all the time and He's with you all the time. And work doesn't stop at program making or hosting street parties, climbing on a fire engine, eating cake, or visiting new families. There's work we can do in the church as well. As I was cycling here this morning, my neighbour Dora was walking up the hill looking very smartly dressed at quarter to nine. I said, oh, Dora, you know, where, where are you heading? And she said, I've just come back from church. I thought, wow, you're really ahead of me. I'm on my way, and I'm going to be early. Um, but uh, she, she was um, amused that I was cycling down the hill in a hurry, wearing my little sun hat. And, uh, and she, she said, are you off to work? I thought, well, that's ironic, isn't it? Because I'm about to give a talk about work and try and explain that work is everything that we do. But I don't think I'm going to say, yes, I'm off to work. So I said, no, I'm, I'm off to church. But actually we can be doing work in the church as well. Robert, my husband, and I run the World Prayer Group with Alan and Emily. And the first one, little plug here, is next Sunday, 19th of May, 6 p.m. at the evening service. And what we do in that group, which we've been running in our house for a couple of years, is we connect with people all over the world. And we ask them to send us, guess what? Audio of their prayer needs. So you might find someone in Tajikistan who will record on their phone what the prayer needs are, WhatsApp them over to us, we then play them out in our group we listen we pray for them all out loud together and then we record what we feel god's saying on our phones and we send it back so we're always looking for more international connections so if any of you another plug can help us with this if you know people in other countries please let us know last year there was a couple that visited from venezuela to this church and i spotted them and i thought perfect let's get some interview for world prayer i don't know anybody in venezuela So we just grabbed a little quiet spot over there um, near the coffee area and I asked them two or three questions and they told me what the prayer needs were. So we're never off duty, there's always work to be done. Day to day, we all need to hang out the washing, open the post, take out the rubbish, feed the cat, I don't have a cat, Um, but everything that we do as a task needs to start with, I love the Lord my God first. And if we can get that right, then this verse makes sense. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's simple to read, but much harder to put into practice. I began this morning by talking about the book that resonated with me so much in my hammock on Easter Day. It's called How Not to Be Good by Ellie Johnson. Ellie was brave, and she told her story of anxiety and depression so that others could see that we don't have to be perfect. She explains that we can be tempted to take on too much, and you'll know who you are, and appear like we're coping and in control. She went on a journey of self-acceptance and understanding that she was enough. She realized that she didn't need to separate her work and her relationship with God. The two needed to be connected, and God must come first. If you're having a difficult time and your burden of tasks is too heavy right now, and you identified with that picture at the beginning of the oxen with their yokes, this is your opportunity to do something about it. Jesus really does have all the answers. He was very clear when he put the Pharisees and the Sadducees in their place. In verse 46, it says, No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. If we don't head off on our own, and instead we go to him first for wisdom, then we can't go wrong. This morning is a chance for a reset. That was the only slide that Eloise went, cool. (laughs) Can Can anyone identify with the need to press that button? Can anyone sense that there's something going on that says, do you know what? I don't want to be looking at my work or my tasks or what I have to do each day in the same way anymore. I actually want a chance to press reset and say, God, put my priorities back in order. Help me get my motivation from you and not from what the world thinks. Show me that I don't need to be the hub. I don't need to be the one that everybody comes to. Show me that I can actually carry your yoke and not the one that I've put on myself that's too heavy. So can everyone stand up? Have a think about the work that faces you next week, whatever that looks like, or the work that faces you this afternoon. Can we have the band back too?